Hello and welcome to the Superfreak Media Podcast, No Ghouls Allowed, with me, your host, Jono Butler. And joining me this time, we have Liam Banks. Hey, he's on still his, here. He's still here, <laughs> and he's on his own this week, which is uh, going to be interesting. We're going to chat about some things together. We're going to talk about remakes. We're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of remakes. That is uh, so weird that you said that, because I was literally thinking, like, we should do that. Good, bad, and ugly, so... That's it. Psychic. Here, we're psychic. Here we go. Uh, we're also going to have a little chat about the things we've missed uh, due to the current situation, things we've missed in 2020 and probably will miss for a little while in 2021, and what mm. we are looking forward to getting back into. I know for one, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to the cinema, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So we live in a time where almost every other film seems to be a remake or a reboot or a reimagining of some description or maybe it's based on something so it's based on a book it's based on a tv series um actually finding some sort of original content seems to be quite difficult these days um Mm, something like spider-man that's been rebooted three times in the past 15 20 years uh, is, Pretty insane is, is an example, <laughs> and then that's not counting the the kind of the animated into the Spider Verse. If you want to count that one uh, as mm-hmm. a fourth iteration, then I'm pretty sure yeah. there's TV versions of that. Um, the Ghostbusters remake, which is coming out yeah. next year, but then also had a reboot, I guess, with the female cast in 2016. Yeah, I'd say that was a reboot. I think this is going to be a soft... I think they're calling it a soft sequel. Oh. I think that's kind of like the new in-phrase, or it's a soft reboot, isn't I it? Like so it's that. No, I, I I like a good hard reboot, I do. Mm, or I'm, a good hard I've, I've, I've heard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, Jesus, dear. now there's only two of us. It's gotten absolutely filthy. The um, filth meter is like maxed out already it's uh yeah we're doing well talking about (laughs) remaking things with the female cast i heard at one point they were talking about remaking face off with a a female cast okay that could that could have been interesting i would be interested to see who would be the female equivalent of nicholas cage and john uh, john travolta though yeah it's like this is the kind of the first thing that i kind of wanted to to talk about was (laughs) at what point does it become just a money-making scheme and a, and a remake for a mm-hmm. remake's sake? Uh, and at, w- at what point is it actually a remake on merit? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point. I think um, for the last... I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it's really hard to find original content these days. And I think that comes from the fact that studios are just scared to take that risk. You know, back in the 80s when... Uh, all these ideas were were coming into fruition. I don't think that we live in a time now where people don't have the ideas. I think that the studios are just a little bit tighter with their purses now. So they'd much rather kind of do something which is pretty much a carbon copy of the original because they know kids these days won't watch the original maybe. Um, But it's using the name and branding of something that they'll know will get bums on seats. Yeah, Um, it's, It's a tricky one. I've got no problem with kind of bringing something up to date, as, mm-hmm. it, as it were, so that like, uh, oh, what's the name of the film? The recent one with um, Lady Gaga in. Or oh, Star is Born. Star is Born. There's a there's a Star mm-hmm. is Born for pretty much every generation going back yeah. years, isn't there? You know, I mean, yeah. and that's bringing a fresh look at the story. Um, mm-hmm. 
but it's when something is made for what appears to be just a cynical kind of cash grab that really gets to me like well it made yeah. money last time so we'll just churn another one out not as a sequel yeah. but just as a as a sort of remake so i, I don't want to go down the the let's bash the, remakes the negative route rabbit hole yeah straight away <laughs> so um i hear you've got a good one to talk about yeah i mean i think uh linking into that initial point a remake that grabs my attention and that I really enjoy is one that offers something new. And like you said, with A Star is Born, for example, it, it brings that story into the forefront of the minds of people of that generation. So the concept can be the same, but they maybe add something that just makes it current. Um, so I guess we obviously usually talk uh, within the realm of horror. My choice would be the 2013 remake of Evil Dead by Fede Alvarez. Um, now, I think Sam Raimi's original is an iconic film, and particularly for people like us who are still in that indie sector of horror, mm. it's something that we can look at really fondly and think that could have been us like a weekend in the woods with like <laughs> hose pipes gushing blood everywhere and and, and stuff. Um, and I think I will always love that film, and I still watch the original um, quite a bit. But for me, what was really great about the remake um, in 2013 was the fact that they they took like the core concept. So you had the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead. There was a group of um, early 20-somethings going into the woods, a cabin in the woods, and basically they unleash something that they have no way of controlling or dealing with. And basically, horror ensues. Um, and that's the, the core of that story. But they completely flipped the, the script from obviously having Ash uh, played by Bruce Campbell in the original to having Mia played by Jane Levi um, in the remake. And to me, the way that they went about it didn't feel as forced um, as maybe some of the other remakes have where they've they've had a female protagonist. Um, now, I mean, most people, obviously our listeners will know, audience of our films will know, we're all about female empowerment uh, and everything. But I do think there is this cynical side to me that does see that studios are leapfrogging on kind of the Me Too movement and things like that to put these female characters in place um, when sometimes it's not always what's best for the story. And I think that's what what causes problems with me for remakes. And I think I think people got really too upset about the Ghostbusters remake that you mentioned. Mm. Um, I think that was completely unnecessary. And I admired it because we had female scientists, which you obviously are young girls, women growing up, they've got something to look to. Whereas we've had that privilege. We've had these characters to look up to our entire lives. Um, but with the Evil Dead remake, I felt it was really organic that they they didn't want another Ash character. Yeah. Um, uh, we had Mia, who was her own uh, protagonist in her own right she had her own reason for being there she had her own kind of way of turning into this this anti-hero i guess uh, by the end of the film and that's what really stood out to me i thought her performance was great uh, i think everyone who was involved did an incredible job um but it, it what i really enjoyed was the fact that it took like elements that were so recognizable from the original so the camera work like the sound design um even obviously the book itself is present there in some way, but it it just turned it up a notch because you watch the original Evil Dead. It's not the most professional looking film, but that's that's kind of where its charm lies. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that would have worked if you're shopping that same idea around again. You, you want something that's a bit upgraded. Um, 
and I don't know, I suppose what sets that, that remake apart from maybe the other uh, installments of the series, you've obviously got Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, but I think Evil Dead 2 is basically a remake of the original one, but with a budget, and they kind of knew what they were doing. Um, and of course, you've got the Ash vs. Evil Dead series, and I will be honest, I didn't really enjoy that uh, anywhere near as much as I enjoyed the Evil Dead remake. Um, and I, I'm I'm excited, I want to see more in that universe, and I think it worked because it did leave the door open to tell its own stories then in that universe. And there was no reason why, I don't know, Mia and Ash could have then come together and killed some deadites together at some point. Like it was, it was its own thing, but it just shared enough DNA with the original to kind of, I think, warrant being made. Um, so that for me is, is probably one of the best remakes uh, I've seen in recent memory. And from a guy as well, who started making short films. So incredibly inspiring from our standpoint because like that's who we want to be oh, uh, at the end of the day so i guess that that would be my good entry i mean there's there's plenty of of bad ones and i suppose honorable mentions i, I personally enjoyed um the remakes of friday the 13th and texas chainsaw massacre that like the early 2000 remakes i thought they were good um not perfect uh, but a damn sight better than the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which oh. I think if Charlie was on the podcast, um, Charlie Clark, she yeah. would have very much voiced her opinion on that one. So <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, Charlie. I think the thing is there that the Evil Dead and to a certain extent, uh, you know, the Friday the 13th remake, um, <laughs> that they took the source material and yeah. they were brave enough to go, I guess, in their own direction, especially with Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I think, definitely. I think that's when a remake is warranted. As you said, if mm-hmm. if they turn round and went, right, it's three decades down the line, we're going to remake the Evil Dead, and all they're going to do is just basically polish the original, yeah. that takes away all of the original's charm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. So they, they, they couldn't have done that, but that would have been easy. Mm. That would have been the easy route. I think, unfortunately, we see it them taking the easier route uh, more often than not. I mean, an example that springs to my mind of something which was pretty much a carbon copy but had the potential to add so much more was the Carrie remake. Yeah. Um, and that was, I can remember that was a film I was studying at university for my dissertation at the time. And I can remember just as I finished my dissertation, handed that in a week later, the remake came out. So of course I'd been watching the original so much. I was like, okay, let's go and go and see the remake. And I can remember sitting there watching it and hearing the dialogue or pretty much word for mm. word in places and thinking, why why does this need to be a thing it is yeah. it's not a reflection i'm not saying that the director um was bad or um, obviously chloe grace moretz was involved I, I think she's a very capable actress there was no problems there it was just the fact that the source material was basically just being replicated but it was from a book and a film that were in the 70s and they kind of hinted at like bringing in mobile phone technology and stuff but we live in a day and age now where there's like social media bullying and and all of this stuff and that really to me would have been something to really capitalize on and like religious extremism and all of that is something that we very much hear about in the news oh that's it if if you're going to remake a film like carrie you've got to embrace the fact that you're in the 21st century you've got to bring it into the 21st century use the new methods of technology the ways of bullying that could have happened really because what ended up happening was it just felt like a throwback and if you want to watch a throwback watch the original yeah 100% I mean even the iconic prom scene like I can remember them building it up like basically the all the marketing campaign was about that and I I mean I get 
that obviously people know the story. They kind of know that iconic image of her being drenched in blood. But if your whole marketing campaign is about that one moment that is then literally almost beat for beat the same as the original, what is the point? Like I wanted to see so much more happen, even even in just that section, I'd have probably been a little bit happier. Um, and it was a huge letdown. I think that's that's the sort of behavior from studios that leaves a sour taste in a lot of particularly horror fans' minds. Because I think horror falls victim to it more often than not. I think it's interesting that you said that because I think horror is the genre that gets remade the most. Mm. I think a horror remake, um, you get one every year a franchise is rebooted mm-hmm. or something comes back whether mm-hmm. it's a it's a belated sequel like the scream franchise or it yeah. is actually a proper a, a remake of something like my bloody valentine got remade and yeah uh, it, it, it seems to be ripe for picking for want of a better word um i think yeah it's interesting as well though that like you said that it doesn't seem to have really slowed down i think particularly in the early 2000s mm. uh, when you had michael bay's platinum june studio just basically taking everything you had every iconic villain being rebooted and of course halloween was rebooted at that point um and i mean halloween is such a crazy franchise to talk about because you've had you've had the initial halloween one and two like uh, back in the 70s early 80s then you had Halloween 3, which they basically were saying, oh, well, let's make Halloween an anthology and we'll do different films every holiday. Then they went back because everyone was like, where the hell's Michael Myers? Um, and then you had the remakes in in like kind of early 2000s. And we've just had another sequel, which completely gets rid of everything yeah. bar the first film. And now we've got like a new trilogy kind of with that. So it's that's insane. But like, horror fans lap it up like i personally i know i'll be there as soon as cinemas reopen and halloween kills is on like get me a ticket god damn it it's yeah it's it's, we're weird aren't we we uh we complain but we still go and see it (laughs) well that's it i I think there's a there's definitely going to be an audience for these things because uh, it's a a kind of morbid curiosity of please don't ruin the original for me i hope you're good (laughs) but at the same time sort of wanting it to be pants because you want the original to be the definitive entry yeah, it's a fine line. I think um, I'm sure there will have been people who were unhappy about the Evil Dead and the liberties that they took mm. in the remake. Um, but to me, like I think you you've used the correct word there. It was the bravery of those filmmakers involved to say, "You do what you need to do with this story and make it your own." So yeah, really good, really good film. Do you think there's something in it when you say? films are remade eight for the money obviously because it's a franchise you know there's a dedicated audience there but also mm. to a certain extent that i guess kids these days oh my gosh um you know <laughs> the younger audience isn't going to go yeah. and watch the 1970s version of carrie for example yeah i think there's um i don't know it's like I know when, even when we were at school, if a film was in black or white, um, black and white, sorry, or if it had subtitles, everyone had like grown in the class. Now, personally to me, I'm a film fan, so I don't really mind that, but not everyone has that mindset. So I know there's a lot of things that can put people off. And I think, yeah, if something hasn't been made in the last 10 years and it doesn't have the Blumhouse introduction logo, I think a lot of kids will switch off before they maybe, um, maybe watch stuff. I will say, I think those of us out there, though, who do then develop a love for the genre, that's where it gets really exciting. Because I know for a fact when I was kind of like in my mid-teen years into my 20s, it was just full of me just exploring all of these old horror films and stuff that I 
I just knew like nothing about. I'd just seen posters and, and pictures. And then I was like, God, these films are actually really great. And they've inspired so much since then. So the people who should find it will find it, I think. Um, but yeah, you, you're dead right. Um, it puts people off. Yeah, so you started it off on a positive, which was which is always nice. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm here to drag it back down into the depths. Well, do do you before you go completely, obviously down in that deep dark hole? Do you, do you, is there a is there a remake that you've seen that you've maybe personally enjoyed? Uh, and I mean, it's putting you on the spot because I know you've maybe thought of um, some bad ones. But I mean, did you enjoy it? For example, I mean that yeah. that technically is a remake, and it did some new stuff with it, but. That was yeah. the most successful horror film like ever, yeah, and that's a I remake. Suppose. So, I, I, mean, I guess, it's not one that's come out yet, um, <laughs> but, and I guess, I guess it is one of these ones where actually it seems to be very very quick that they're rebooting this franchise. But I'm really looking forward to Spiral. Um, I thought you were going to say that. Yeah, which no, is, absolutely. Which is obviously, the, the next instalment in the Saw series. Uh, I, for one, really enjoyed. Uh, the first couple of installments of the Saw series, I went to see the rest of them, uh, and then towards the end they got extremely silly. Um, we actually went to see Jigsaw, didn't we, in LA? Oh, we I can remember. Yeah. It was our, we were like, right, okay, let's go to the um, TCL Chinese Theatre. So, yeah. like, an amazingly grand theatre that is world renowned, and we choose to go and see Jigsaw as our first film. I still get mad about that. <laughs> the fact that we, one, we paid money, and that was the film we went to go and see. It as was well. an option, wasn't it? God it damn. It had to be a horror God film, damn. though. But yeah, I, I'm excited yeah. by it because it looks like they're going to do something a bit different. Mm, yeah, I think um, it looks like they're going in a different direction, which maybe feels a little bit more kind of how the original maybe was, you know, yeah. from like the investigation side of it, as opposed to, uh, I don't know, it just became about the traps, didn't it? And that exactly. was the problem. Exactly. Um, uh, talking about ones that I did quite like, though, um, controversial, I really did like the first series of the Scream TV series. Mm. I enjoyed it. I yeah. thought that was I thought that was really good. I think it was it was nice to see it in a new medium. Um, yeah, uh, and MTV as well. Yeah, like it was perfect. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it didn't bring back any of like the original characters, uh, which you know save that for the series. I guess the actual the film series, as it were. Um, I suppose that film series has been quite unique, though, hasn't it? Because it has retained its original cast. Mm. And I mean, even with this fifth instalment, we know Sidney Prescott's going to be uh, a big deal in that and um, Gail Weathers and Dewey and, and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, sw- I I agree. I think it might have gone downhill after that, but the, the first series was yeah. interesting enough. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm slipping in. Um <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was definitely and there still is a, a kind of a glut of films uh, especially horror films that are remakes of foreign language um world cinema um mm. so if if a successful horror film came out in spain you could pretty much guarantee that a year or two down the line there would be an american remake uh in yep. the early 2000s in the late 90s it was it was J- japanese horror it was j-horror uh, you had the remakes of The Ring, The Grudge, um, all came out within a couple of years of the original and by and large were pretty much carbon copies with uh, American cast, American locations, and they mm. were just not quite as good as the original. But I guess mm. 
it, for the the average cinema goer who didn't want to sit and watch a film with subtitles, um, mm. and I guess also in in uh, in the late nineties, the original versions would be harder to come by. You you sort of yeah. forget that the original versions of these films would have been ones that you'd had to really seek out. You'd had to go to yeah. a, an art house cinema, or you'd have to get a VHS copy. Um, mm. You know, yeah. d- delivered to your door from some sort of mail order catalogue. You know, I think we forget how much has changed, like yeah. in the last decade alone. Like we can literally go on a streaming service and find the original Ring and Grudge and stuff. And I think that kind of worked with the uh, notoriety of the Ring in the mm. fact that, like you said, people were getting this like on copied oh, VHS tapes. Yeah. So it was it's kind of ironic <laughs> that that's how people were consuming it as well. It's uh, no, uh, definitely. But again, like what we said earlier, it's a barrier that maybe people don't want to cross. Yeah. So if a studio goes, do you know what? Let's just do this in English. Mm. More people will see it. Um, so the the one that I wanted to talk about was uh, Quarantine, which is the remake of the Spanish found footage horror film Wreck. So mm-hmm. Wreck came out in 2007. Uh, wow. To rave reviews. It's got sequels of its own, which to varying degrees were decent slash weird slash odd <laughs> slash John Sponge. Uh, if you've seen <laughs> the one with John, John Sponge. Sponge in it, you're welcome. Um, and Quarantine came out in 2008, so it's fair to say that Quarantine was probably being produced in the same year that Wreck came out, within the same 12 months. They mm. were ready to, they knew this was a success. They were like, right, let's get this out quick. Um, And it is, for me, an example of a film that is just almost a shot-for-shot remake of the original. And it's it's sort of disappointing because there's something about Rex. What made it scary for me was the fact that it was almost the fact that it was in in another language. It was that otherworldly... It wasn't recognizably british it wasn't recognizably american it was very spanish um taking that away took away a lot of the the kind of the scare factor for me that and the fact that i had literally seen it done 10 (laughs) times better the year before yeah yeah Um, no no definitely i think i don't know if it was obviously like you said the language thing i think that always works especially with horror because it makes it always seem a bit more frantic mm. like you don't actually know what's going on or what's being said um but yeah i think just because she was american she just came off really obnoxious in quarantine yeah. Yeah. like really unlikable whereas angela in the original you're kind of like i do not want anything to happen to this woman oh you're rooting for her 100 <laughs> percent. yeah and yeah. then in quarantine you sort of like even though it's the same film you're like meh yeah. Off you go. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait for that bit at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, again, though, giving away the ending in the marketing. Like, what is yeah. it? I, trailers these days are slightly off, off subject, but um, I saw, I think HBO Max are now streaming The Exorcist. So they released, there's a trailer on YouTube, which is called The Exorcist Modern Trailer. And I implore anyone to go and watch that and then watch the original trailer. But marketing these days is just insane. The amount of like moments it gives away in that trailer. I guess. It, like, it's, it's just ridiculous. I guess, I guess they're kind of being forced to show the money shots to mm. get people interested. And unfortunately, with a film like The Exorcist that relies on the money shots for its impact, giving them away yeah. is 
and sort of the I only mean, way to I attract a lot an of audience. People, a lot of people will go and see The Exorcist anyway because I think it is um, notorious in its own right. And that's funny that it hasn't really been rebooted. We've had a lot of exorcism films. We've had The Exorcist TV series. But yeah. from what I've watched of that so far, it seems like it's doing its own thing. Mm. Um, I'm a bit kind of late to the party with that one. But um, I think that is something that might kind of not ever get a reboot because well, I, I think people would go crazy this was a question <laughs> that i wanted to ask you do you think there is a film out there that is sacred and therefore a should not be remade and b will not be remade um i think pretty much anything uh spielberg related maybe has a bit of a a sheen on it that that can't be touched i know i'm sure i've read somewhere um that back to the future like the the studios everyone has like vowed never to okay. reboot those films which i think kind of makes sense they're not personally my favorite films but they're great to like you know sunday afternoon they're on tv mm. i probably always watch them like star wars for example um but um i don't know a film that i would absolutely lose my beep over i'm doing the beeping for you there mm-hmm. Jono. is um if i think if et was remade yeah like i know we've had we've had various films that have had similar ideas i think there was i'm sure there was something called was it earth to echo or something that kind of had like a yeah. little robot alien and you had mac and me as mac well which mm. <laughs> i personally love that i think i saw it like when i was in primary school they put it on um but <laughs> and i always love when paul Rudd just shows that clip when he goes on that talk show in america as well and it's just the the is it a kid in like a, just a wheelchair just flying yeah. off a cliff which is just <laughs> absolutely bizarre um but uh, yeah, I um, I don't know. I I'd probably say anything. Yes, anything Spielberg related maybe has a bit of protection. What about you? I think that's it. I think seeing something like Jaws remade would be in its own own way, but a sacrilege because mm. it, it was perfect and it also mm. holds up so well today. Yeah, I think that's and it was I, I, again. It was such a success. I think maybe that's a reason that even though, I guess in the horror community, in the horror circles, films are revered, um, in the wider kind of film community, in the general um, film-going community, they're mm-hmm. not as well revered. They're sort of seen as a horror film. Therefore, they're ripe for being remade. Something like yeah. Jaws, for example, kind of transcends that. It goes beyond it. It was, it was a commercial success. It was a critical success. And therefore, and yeah. it's got that... Spielberg aura about it now um, mm. maybe it won't ever be touched I think what's funny though about that is that you had um, Suspiria is obviously an example of a remake quite recently that we've had um, and that's a fairly obscure horror film in its own right If I, I think people will go out and seek that film mm. or they'll be shown it if they're studying that sort of thing I don't think it's a film you stumble upon like quite easily Um so I think, yeah, it was ripe for being remade and completely went in a different direction, which I enjoyed. Uh, but it was also um, made by uh, a gentleman who'd won the Oscar the the previous year, I believe, with Call Me By Your Name. And he then decided to obviously go down this route. But then I don't think critically it was that successful. So even when you're then applying someone who's come from this field of acclaim to the genre, I don't think it's the easiest thing to break into and do successfully um so yeah it's, it's a bit of a bit of a weird one yeah i think so you, you spoke a little bit actually about star wars a while ago 
Uh, mm. you, you mentioned Star Wars as a film that I don't think the originals will ever get remade. There'll be sequels, there'll be... Um, yeah. But what there has been, not a remake, but they have been given a layer of gloss. Oh, 100%. I think Force Awakens is basically just bringing the audience up to date, isn't oh, it? No, I mean, the, the actual originals have been re-released, oh, haven't they? Oh, they've been reissued. Oh, you mean with, like, the digital, yeah. like... Mm. So, so you've got the purists out there who are like, mm. no, and then you've got the people who, I don't guess, just don't care. Yeah. They just want to see droids and That's stuff. it. So I was <laughs> sort of thinking a film that I would quite like to see with... Uh, a little bit of gloss applied in certain places would be the original Lord of the Rings trilogy because looking back that's nearly 20 mm. years old now and mm. everything in that film that is practical stands up 100% yes but mm. there are moments in it uh, one that I can think of off the top of my head Legolas with the um, mammoth <laughs> elephant thing that what well, when he goes trunk surfing yeah. <laughs> you, you, you look back and you think oh y- you know um and I don't me, know if, if even computers these days though would make that look realistic. I mean, physics yeah. were not a thing in that scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I um, just feel like something like that could be maybe. It's funny though that you say that bit. because obviously you had the Hobbit trilogy like come out like a decade later, really, didn't they? Then the yeah. original kind of trilogy. And I can remember I went to go and see all three of those at the cinema, and I can remember just sitting there thinking, "How is it that these films actually look worse?" Yeah. than these other films made 10 years ago. And I think the problem was was the CGI. So I think you're damn right. The the practical stuff 100% stands up because it will, because it's lit properly, it's there, it's physically yeah. a thing. And that will always be the case. And that's why I think a lot of the old horror movies still stand up like The Thing and even Evil Dead. Um, but it's when they start screwing around with stuff and they're like oh let's just uh do this with cgi that's where it should be a marriage of the two and i think when you go too far you get the uncanny valley effect you get all these things like physics not working and it takes you out of it and it dates it immediately that's it isn't it it's something like um jurassic park for example i would argue that Mm -hmm. the t-rex in jurassic park the t-rex scene in jurassic park looks yeah spot on to this yeah. day because the yeah. CG in that scene was used in such a way that hid it yeah you know, well it, they had the rain didn't they they had very deliberate lighting you yeah. didn't really see everything and you didn't in like broad to. daylight yeah um, whereas uh, nowadays because CG is so good it, it gets overused and mm-hmm. you sort of get that oh it's obviously CG it's a dinosaur it's got to be CG whereas yeah. Back in 1993, that would have blown your socks off. Mm-hmm. And still, does. I think in, in Jurassic World, I can remember seeing that and just seeing how like hyper realistic everything looked, and it it just did look kind of shoddy to me. And I can remember they made a huge thing um, in the lead up to the film about how they were going to have this one scene that had like an animatronic head and and all of this. Then, and to me, it was actually funny that that scene really stuck out to me as looking odd because you could actually see it was real. Yeah, and then everything else looked kind of just a bit too weird but too um, glossy yeah so it was kind of insane that it was the other way around you know like whereas you'd expect to see like a digital shot and you'd be like okay great um it was it was weird that the practical stuff stood out but maybe because everything else looked so crap <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's one um we talked a little bit about um world cinema being remade in the english language mm-hmm. um but it's interesting 
to think that there was a film that we saw at Mayhem last year at the Mayhem Film Festival, which, if people don't know, is a terrific film festival in Nottingham, hosted mm-hmm. at the Broadway Cinema every year. It's fantastic. Uh, horror, sci-fi, cult cinema. If you get a chance to go, 100%, go for it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic weekend. <laughs> they showed a film called Doorlock, which I assumed was oh, horrendous now. I think it was Korean. Um, and I thought, oh, fantastic! I, I love I love Korean horror. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be one that's right up my street. Um, yeah. Turns out it was a remake. Uh, of, really? Yeah, of a Spanish film. Um, oh. And this that's something that you don't, you know, as an audience, mm. we don't think of. Uh, you know, kind Our of stuff it, we, being remade elsewhere. Yeah, we don't <laughs> think of European cinema being remade, uh, kind of in Asia, for example. Yeah. Um, but I suppose it's... the original Paranormal Activity had that though, didn't it? I'm sure there was Paranormal yes. Activity, and then you had Paranormal Activity like Tokyo Night or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna after this podcast, I think, have a bit of a I'd look have a into look. some yeah. um, Asian remakes of of British slash European slash American horror films mm-hmm. because it'd be interesting to see how because the cultures are so different, how they're sort of twisted and turned and and made yeah. accessible. Well, I think you're seeing that more and more. Obviously, we mentioned about studios, and I think ultimately remakes are products of studios. But it's happening more and more in in like articles. You're seeing that things are being altered um, for international audiences. Like I know that there was a whole scene removed from the the Beauty and the Beast uh, live action film because it was like too gay for Russian audiences. Yeah. And I know that the Pirates of the Caribbean films um, there was like criticisms of asian culture in there and that the um uh oriental characters that were kind of put on screen were not they were just stereotypical and i do think that is something that everyone should be mindful of because of course i don't think anyone goes out there unless they are absolute um excuse my language sorry you're gonna have to beat that <laughs> I'll, but, I'll keep that one in <laughs> but do you know what i mean i don't think anyone should go out there wanting to cause offense but then it also leads you into a dangerous place where you might then start compromising elements of story and things to then just not offend anyone and and ultimately you're telling a story it's going to offend someone somewhere mm-hmm. um i think it's, it's a very difficult balancing act um i think this podcast episode has got way more political than i thought it was going to get um, <laughs> that's it. Trump's out, so now we're suddenly uh, um, political beasts. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think it's it is a, a weird one. I will say that um, in our position, we're very fortunate that a lot of content is made in our language and for either in um, UK or American audiences. Um, so there probably is a lot of remakes out there that. Uh, for other audiences that we just don't hear about. I've just done a quick Google, by the way, and apparently there's a Bollywood remake of Silence of the Lambs. What? what, Well, (laughs) just just so you're aware and everyone else is aware. That's crazy. I know that Bollywood is particularly notorious for um, just taking ideas from Western cinema. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Um, Which was remade over here to... Well, I say over here in America to... mm, Meh yeah, effect, and then also, did you, what did you think to that? Did you enjoy it? Or I mean, you're a pretty big fan of the first. The, the, I say the first one, sorry, the original. Yeah, because I I really mm. love the original and the first. Sorry, the first. The original. It's difficult, isn't yeah. it? Like <laughs> the original is so well done, 
It's mm. it has that, and obviously when you first watch it, it has that absolute sucker punch of an ending. Um, mm. And then the remake was a terrific cast. Yeah, it had a fantastic director. It had everything in it to be fantastic, yeah. but it just wasn't the original. Have you? Here's an interesting question. Have you seen any films where you've seen the remake first before you've then seen the original? So as a remake triggered you to to go and seek it, out the original source material? Um, oh my goodness, let me think. Um, I don't know as I have. Um, I mean, I'd like to say that I've probably always like seen the originals first, but I can guarantee there'll oh, be one or two. Here we go. Uh, genuinely, Nightmare on Elm Street. I saw the remake before I saw the original. That's kind of a travesty, but That's uh, awful, well, isn't it? Oh, I've got one. Uh, kind of a remake, but not. I saw Aliens, uh, Alien vs Predator before I saw Alien or Predator. I, I can will... remember. Yes. I, the reason yeah. why is I went to. I, I think I saw it on DVD, and then the Channel Four like did a thing where they then put Alien and Predator back to back as like a thing because Alien vs Predator was out, yeah. and I can remember. Um, I watched those after the fact to kind of find out, well, what were these things that I've just seen hitting yeah. each other? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then realised that the originals were much, much better. Yeah. 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 Just found out who Ripley was. She she was the thing. So yeah, that's, that's great. Arnie, just with massive guns and massive, massive. guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> guns you upon guns. son of a bitch. <laughs> that was Arnold Schwarzenegger. It, uh, it, honestly, I, I'm, I'm honoured he came onto the podcast for that brief moment with us. Speaking of uh, action stars, Liam, and <laughs> stars of the highest order, uh, deities, if you will. Um, gods. gods. Gods, yes. I didn't want to yeah. say it. You've said it. It's out there. Um, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I, is he um, still standing in that corner? He's still in the corner. He is lurking, as usual. And... <laughs> It's happened. After the tease that we had uh, last year for Willy's Wonderland, the full trailer has been released. <laughs> and I, for one, oh, colour me excited because <laughs> I am cock-a-hoop. Cock-a-hoop. That's wow. a phrase, isn't it? It's, um, it's one that I don't hear every day, I'll yeah, tell you that much. But Nicolas Cage brings it out of me. And oh my goodness. <laughs> it, that trailer has everything in it that I want in a film. Yeah. I... I Personally, it was everything that I expected from that and more. So mm. I, I left very, very excited. Um, I think my main takeaway was the fact that there was the line, he's not locked in here with them, they're locked in here with him. Which at no point did I... <laughs> I can't wait. It was like, are they talking about the cast and crew or are they, are they talking about the animatronics that he has to fight? Like, yeah. what's, what's, what's going on? He appears uh, to be some sort of mute hero as well because uh, in the trailer yeah. he doesn't say anything he screams yeah but he doesn't say words which do you think <laughs> do you think they were like okay so so nicholas nick if i can call you that if um if it's okay we want to we want to get you in this film and uh the deal is right we'll pay you all of this money you don't have to say a word you just have to just go full nick cage like at every animatronic we throw at you um and he just probably went yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing. I, I think we've had this discussion before about good cage, bad cage, where Nick Cage seems to do one film for his bank balance and then one film for the love of it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I would 
I don't know when uh, jujitsu was uh, <laughs> made. I don't know if it was. Have the you film. seen it yet? Not yet, but one of my friends yeah. has just watched it, and he tells me that Nick Cage does not make an appearance until minute forty, which wow. sort of tells you everything you need to know about that film. But he is front and center on that poster, mm. isn't he? Mm. <laughs> um, so I don't know if they were filmed, you know, not back to back, but concurrently. Um, so. I get the impression that this is one of the films that he actually did believe in and will be front mm. and centre, not just on the cover, but in the film. I don't think there's any way around it. Like, looking at the trailer, it seems like he is very much, uh, obviously, a central character. Mm. I think they've kind of established that there's um, these people who are obviously trying to uh, thwart whatever's going on inside this place and warn him. So I think they'll obviously be... Um, things to people to die not things to die <laughs> people to die um but yeah i think in the last few years i've noticed him really leaning into that cult movie status yeah. like the choices he's made i'm not going to criticize because i think if you do something well then go for it i don't think he's wanting to go for oscar winning parts anymore i think he just wants to have fun and he he is you look in recent years with uh, mandy and color out of space yeah, it, what choices and and who else could you see in that role? Yeah, I think it. I kind of can't. Yeah, see those films being as successful. And I think he he is very much a Marmite actor. Like I know for a fact that my mum, for example, no offense, John, I know you're probably going to hate these words, but you know if she sees a film that's got him in, she's immediately put off just because oh. it's him. Um, it, it's it's okay. You'll be okay, Jono. I, um, I understand. But. <laughs> but so I kind of get that that is a thing for people. Uh, I personally don't mind him at all. I think he's brilliant. Um, so he knows his audience, and I think he's he's pleasing said audience at the moment. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. He's pleasing his audience. It, I think what's good about Willy's Wonderland as well is that they've held out for the theatre release, haven't they? I know that was like yeah. one of the reasons they delayed the marketing and the trailer and all of that jazz. Um, so. Hopefully that means it's actually good and it isn't a thing yeah. that could just go straight to DVD. Yeah, I, th- I think um, unfortunately we will be watching it on a streaming service. Um, yeah, but as you say, the fact that it's actually they held out for a for a theatrical release shows them that, that you know that, that they've they're looking at this film for the the film to re-release all films. That's right, <laughs> it's the one that's going to bring cinema back to the masses. <laughs> They'll throw those cinema doors open and everyone will fill the seats because they need some Nicolas Cage. That's it. That's it. Um, just so you're aware, by the way, about two minutes ago, I got a notification on my computer which made a noise. And I'm, God, I'm hoping I can cut around that. We'll see. <laughs> but it beats the phone call like on the first episode, right? It's just ringing in the background. We're like, okay, cool. Let's just carry on. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're planning on, on going into this and like, please cut me out and we'll do it again if, if you do. But um, how have we not spoken about a certain film on this podcast episode involving a certain person, which is indeed a remake? Oh my goodness me. I've written it down and I've not spoken about it. Are we talking, <laughs> are we talking about the Wicker Man? Not the bees, not the bees. Oh, which, <sighs> which I think, uh, Nicolas Cage now claims was a comedy doesn't he <laughs> do you think that like when they sat down and they were like let's make this film they thought that's what it would be mm, I 
I like to think genuinely that they had an eye on the tongue in cheek. Yeah, I mean, the scene where he push he punches someone in a bear suit is just kind of like. I mean, I don't know how that's not funny in any context, but okay. Uh, um, but yeah. no, unfortunately, that is an example of one of the uh, early 2000s kind of horror remakes that seemed to get churned out at the time. Uh, that will also be an example of one where I saw it before the original. Yeah. And I don't think I've even watched the original all the way through. The original is wonderfully weird. So, so that's kind of bad. Wonderfully um, weird. I don't know. Part of me just kind of wants to cling to it just being Nicolas Cage's version. So would um, you say is. what you're what you're telling me now is that the definitive <laughs> version of The Wicker Man is Nicolas Cage's version? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I'll and and those C- CGI bees. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, how'd it get burned moment, which is also one of my favourites. I, I, I can't remember that, John. I think you're going to have to reenact it for me and the audience. So I'm pretty sure it's the bit where he's on like a little on a little jetty <laughs> and uh, he picks up a doll, which I assume <laughs> is his daughter's. And you've just got to imagine Nicolas Cage's face as he lifts up the doll to um, to show it to the lady. And he says the words, How to get burned! How to get burned! How to get burned! <laughs> over and over again. Oh, Nick. Guy. Oh, I, I just... Do you, think, do you think that was the only take that they got? Or do you reckon that they... He was just like... Do you reckon he did that? And then the director was like, Okay, let's just maybe just do one more just for safety. And he was like, No, that's the one. And that's the one that you're going to use. I like to think that in the script, it was written as... Calmly, how'd it get burned? So the he qu- whispers. Yeah, how did it get how'd it get burned? And he went, how'd it get burned? And they went, cool. Print it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a oh guy. Um, we talked then briefly about uh, the, the possibility of cinemas reopening, and I wanted mm. to to use this episode uh, because it's the start of the year as maybe a little bit of a look back on things that, because of the current situation that we've missed, and for me, the cinema has been a kind of a big gap in my life, I guess. Uh, Mm -hmm. More than I thought it would be. I've not been to the cinema Mm -hmm. since, it must have been February, March last year. Uh, That's nearly 12 months of not being to the cinema. I didn't go throughout any of the the various lockdowns and unlockdowns that we had. Um... (laughs) <laughs> and yeah I, I cannot wait to get back to the cinema missing yeah. mayhem last year again we, we I spoke about this earlier on it's a fantastic film festival in nottingham uh missing that was another huge gap uh mm. going to that you know going to a film festival and watching films with an audience who loves that genre of cinema is a you know, fantastic experience and something you just can't mm-hmm. replicate on a home streaming service. You, you can say yeah. as much as you like about, oh, you can have a, a watch party, for example, or you can watch yeah. the films at home and then chat about it later. But actually being in that cinema with an audience that is 100% on board with what's on screen, uh, there's nothing 100%. that beats it. I was actually, I think I was saying this to Rich uh, the other day um, when we were talking. I watched uh, One Cut of the Dead um for the first time in a long time uh, again uh, and we're showing it to someone and 
it was just so vastly different to the experience we had at that film festival. Yeah. And I can I can remember, I mean, I was still laughing because to me it was hilarious, but I think I was laughing from memory at the fact that we were all kind of united in this, like what the hell is going on thing. Yeah. And I think horror, when even when it's serious horror, I love that communal experience that you have at a cinema where, I don't know, someone will scream on the back row and that actually maybe shits you up a little bit more than like what's actually been on screen because someone else has got scared and then everyone laughs and it's 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 just something that yeah i think i'm the same i've really missed it a lot lot more than i thought i would because i'd probably go and see at least a film a week mm-hmm. like just to make sure i was keeping up to date with stuff and i had a cinema card and it was a thing to just do with people um and yeah it's like w- what do we do it's it's but, insane. That's it. Just to go full circle on that, by the way, uh, One Cut of the Dead is apparently heading for an English language remake. Wow. Okay. Which, I mean, I can see it. I can yeah. see it. I don't think it'll have the charm no. that the original had. Um, but and, I don't know. That's the future episode right there, isn't that's it? it? Let's talk that's about it. it. <laughs> um, other things that we've missed. Um, obviously, going to the cinema, we've talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. We've not been able to make anything properly. Um, mm. either and being on set is something as well that I know a lot of filmmakers are going to be struggling with uh, yeah. especially independent filmmakers who they haven't got the resources there available to, to quarantine before a shoot or to create a bubble um, I know yeah it's it, insane it's been difficult hasn't it I mean, it's. I think the thing is, is there's there's all these obviously courses that you can take about being COVID safe, and I mean, the, some of those alone come at quite a big cost. Just to say that you've got this qualification and being COVID secure on set, um, insurance, as all of these sorts of things come into play. And I mean, these are all obstacles that. I mean, getting a film made even prior to quarantine, lockdown, COVID was difficult for a lot of people, and you were constantly having to rally the people around you resources that you had to just even do that and now it's just this other huge barrier is in place that's preventing you from from doing these things because i don't think at any point um any kind of creative project uh outweighs people's health and i think that's that's what's been quite admirable about everyone that i've seen and obviously even us as a team it we've all kind of known how important this situation has been that we've been going through and that's never been um, something that we've kind of taken lightly it doesn't mean it isn't bloody frustrating and it doesn't mean that we we don't want to be just getting back together and, and doing this stuff um but i guess we've just had to keep busy in the ways that we can we've we've started up the podcast again we've got loads of like stuff being made behind the scenes that we can kind of try and still release and you've just got to keep the momentum up and i think for creative people that's often something that you can struggle with, you know, in terms of motivation, because more often than not, these things that we do can come with very little reward. Um, sometimes you get lucky and then you get loads of recognition and, and things that you'd want out of the project. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough time, but I don't think that um, any of us are going to come out of the other side of this, like worse off than we went in. I think we're just going to have even like a renewed passion and fire for it. I know I'm certainly going to be so grateful when we next get back on set and you've got your dimmer switch plugged in. We've got the light temperature just right. And then I, I can call action after counting down three, two, one action <laughs> like I do. Um, so yeah, it's, 
we've just got to be patient, I think. But it's definitely something I've missed, that's for sure. I just miss seeing you guys. Like, this is lovely. I love that I can I can see you now and 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 and, and when we have other people on, but it's it's just not the same, is it? No, I think it's... I think that's it, isn't it? I think this is what's been difficult, not just in um, the kind of the work that we do, but just in mm. life in general. It's yeah, yeah. You can see people, but you can see them through a screen. Um, yeah, and yeah, you can go and chat on a doorstep, but it's just mm. not the same. And mm. I, I think certain people play a little bit fast and loose with the rules both in kind of the the filmmaking community maybe people have gone out and made things when maybe they shouldn't have done and I think mm. it's I'm really pleased that as a as a group we've sort of made that conscious decision to think you know what there are things that are more important um, yeah and you know what everyone's health and well-being is right at the top yeah. of that uh, but I'd is, rather say, still have a healthy team when yeah. we can get back to it, that's yeah. for sure. And as you say, that first time we get back on set, that first time we get back in a cinema, the first time we do all the things that we couldn't do you know, last year and hopefully mm. not too much longer this year, it's <laughs> going to be that much better. Cut to episode 21 and we're still like, okay, so COVID-53 is still a thing. <laughs> we have and, a new uh... variant. yeah um we've not made films for three years now uh yeah it's uh we laugh but we're dying inside yes yes horribly (laughs) dying inside um so what are you looking forward to most this year then what if you could pick one thing what would it be i think oh god that is a tough question i think i think in in all honesty i'm just looking forward to probably return to some kind of normality with kind of what you said with the film stuff. Like I personally would love for kind of when mayhem's a thing or even Halloween is a thing, like I'm trying to be realistic. I think I'd love for around that sort of time, it be okay enough for us just to have a get together and sit down together, watch an absolutely horrendously bad movie um and just laugh and have a joke and it'd be okay to do that and i don't know as not be thinking that that's the last time that we might see each other again for like two and a half years or, or whatever um i think what's also um has been great about i mean seeing positives about the time that we've had um it's given me so much time to sit down and write stuff so it doesn't mean that we're short of ideas when we are good to go again. And um, I think it's it's been valuable as well to maybe take a little bit of time back and just reflect on stuff, see what else ever, see what everyone else has been up to. And um, I think as a team, we've really unified and we've all kind of taken on things that we can be doing individually to still keep things going. And that's been a, a really great change. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't think we know what the future holds for, for us all at the moment. And it's we've just got to ride the wave a bit now and oh, see what happens. Yeah, very, very well said. What about you? What what are you looking forward to? Other than, or is it just, just the cinemas? Is that all you care about, Jono? Um, <laughs> it's seeing Nicolas Cage's face on that big 30-foot screen. <laughs> so, um, no, it's it's what you say. It's that it's It's... 
outside of the filmmaking stuff, it's just getting back to that sense of normality where, mm-hmm. you know what, as you say, this might not be the last time, you know, this could be the last time that we'll we'll do this in X amount of months. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd just quite like things to be normal enough that you can go around someone's house and not think, oh, I've been in here for too long. I've got to open a window. You know, I'd quite like just to be able to go around someone's house for a cup of tea and not feel... Yeah, like you've got to go through the decontamination chamber on the way out. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I know what you you mean. Um, Yeah, it's it's a weird, weird time. Uh, What I'm not looking forward to is the onslaught of COVID-themed horror films that we're no doubt going to get. I mean, I've seen seen quite a few that have already kind of sprung up and whilst whilst we enjoyed host that was kind of covid themed but in a different way yeah um i had the displeasure of watching songbird this uh this week i don't oh, know if you've seen this that's the um it went obviously obviously it went straight to streaming services um because <laughs> you can't really go anywhere else but no I, I saw a trailer for it and uh i then immediately went on rotten tomatoes just to see how it had been received <laughs> and uh, not well not no, well. it, it's it's a shame as well because there's some decent people involved, um, and I mean, again, I believe it's uh, Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes uh, production company, so may- maybe they should just stop. I don't know, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was kind of like the the concept and kind of idea just wasn't there enough. It it it, it kind of just reminded me of like the Purge, but. Mm. I don't know like what you'd expect Purge 7 to be just with coronavirus thrown in as a reason why kind of things are a bit crap for people. Yeah. Um, that's not to say don't check it out. And uh, it's also not to be confused with Triscale Pictures' Songbird, uh, which I'm sure there's been some confusion on Amazon uh, with that people streaming either or and not yes. expecting uh, Janet Devlin singing and doing stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's not the greatest. Um, and... I think, yeah, the fact that we've not had much in the way of new content is getting to a lot of people. Um, but I think that's hopefully going to change because there's only so long that they can postpone releases of films that have that's been made. Um, so, yeah. So as a final point then, uh, film that you're looking forward to most in 2021? It's got to be Halloween Kills. Uh, it's a toss-up between that and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, or oh, oh mm. Godzilla vs Kong's also coming out like very soon on streaming yeah. platforms, so could be good. But if Godzilla doesn't win, then it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. Godzilla very fun. bad. Okay. Team Godzilla all the way. All the way. Uh, what about what about you, Johnny? Uh, for me, obviously, it's the massively delayed uh, No Time to Die. Uh, oh yeah, the latest yeah. in the James Bond franchise, uh, which I've been looking forward to, obviously since. It was mm-hmm. first announced, and it's just been put back and put back. Uh, I really hope it gets a cinema release, but if it doesn't, I hope it does well. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm also looking forward to the new Top Gun, which again has been massively delayed. Uh, and I guess you would call that one a would you call it a soft reboot, Liam, or a uh, sequel? Yeah, a soft possibly. sequel. A hard I'm sequel. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know. Tom Cruise is involved, so it could be soft or hard. We don't know. Um, I, I know what but, I am. Um, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I, 
I'm quietly curious about it. I'm not too sure that it is going to be the best. I'm but, sure. um, mm, All I'm sure know. about with it is that the, the actual flying sequences are going to be tip-top uh, because they yeah. actually did them, which is I, I was going to say, and I can imagine that there's also been um, a lot of kind of practical stuff like he he will have he will have done a lot of of uh of crap himself only on that film <laughs> absolutely 90 percent sure he flies the jets that's insane are you being insane. serious yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. that's that um, is crazy there'll be um, somebody in there with him obviously to take control but i'm pretty sure he flies those he, he like flies it off the aircraft carrier which is just ridiculous yeah because i mean how much must their insurance policy be like well, for I, that because, I mean, he could literally just fly off and then in the sea. And always in the sea. <laughs> Tom. Um, yeah, I guess that's the... Um, I, I think I read somewhere one time that the... I think Jackie Chan and Tom Cruise, they just could not get insurance, which is why they have their own production companies, because if it all goes wrong... Say, is that why he produces? So he can be like, well... Book, book my, stops my with him. So. That's, that's, that's fair. Um, yeah. Two honourable mentions as well of films hopefully coming out this, this year um, is Edgar Wright's latest Last Night in Soho, that's which just, I believe is supposed to be like a psychedelic 60s thriller trip, psychological yeah. thing. I don't really know too much about it, but great people involved. And also, I don't think we've seen a lot from Edgar Wright in a few years, obviously Baby Driver. Mm. Um, so um, excited for that. And James Wan has Malignant coming out, which is being kind of touted as a giallo uh, Hello. piece. Hello, so, giallo. you know, you know my feelings on giallo. Giallo, mm. hello. <laughs> <So, laughs> oh, uh, just, 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 just kill me now. <laughs> that's a TV series we could make, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine giallo, hello? There's just people just getting stabbed with brightly coloured lights. <laughs> yeah, with um, really bad French accents. <laughs> it's almost like we've uh, we've reviewed a film that was an anthology that had really. Uh, bad french accents i can't we, remember what it was we never called. speak of it again <laughs> i think i said didn't i that the producer started following us on uh, instagram yes and i was like okay i don't think he's listened to the episode no but, he also um, follows me you. on twitter which um, is i'm sure i'm sure glenn danzig is actually uh he's making well he's made another film hasn't he and oh. it's got the guy from final destination in um so he's actually got like some actors in this one i think which oh. is good Fair um play I think it's a Western, but it's got a weird elements to it. Yeah, like a Western. <laughs> yeah, it's got some weird elements going on. So that should be a feast for the eyes, even if the eyes are on the nipples. <laughs> so that is it for this episode of the No Goals Allowed podcast. Uh, thanks to Liam for joining me on this episode. You are most welcome. <laughs> any time. Well, actually, any... I say any time. Like, next, no, next it's month. once a month. Yeah, yeah. once a month. Yeah. Once a month. Yeah. Not no more contact week. than that. No. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. At the start of the episode, you did say uh, did, on this week's. Yeah, again, I, you did it. Did yeah, I, I didn't want to. Didn't want to be that guy, but I'll be that guy at the end. That's fine. Sick. <laughs> we'll keep it in. Um, <laughs> oh, one thing to update people on: the Superfreak Media blog is definitely alive and well. Charlie has been putting some content on there. The latest post is a Meet the Team post, so you can get to know a little bit more about us if you would like to. We've all got a little paragraph on there about what we do behind the scenes. Um, And for this month's little competition, all you need to do is like the Instagram post, which we will paste a link to uh, in the description, and it's also going to 
be on Instagram, which is where Instagram posts usually reside. Uh, so if you like the post, you'll be entered into the prize draw to win some Super Freak Media goodies. Um, if that is what you would like. Liam is laughing at me because I've rabbled my way through this. But you know what? I quite like it as an ending to the podcast. I, I, I do. I think it's fitting. I think it was the perfect explanation. People have no idea what to do and uh, they'll probably get something out of it at the end. So That's yeah. it. Like the post on Instagram that <laughs> advertises this podcast you're entered into a prize draw boom <laughs> done right. never hear from us again that's it yeah cool see you next time <laughs> <laughs> oh and liam yes keep it creepy oh see god on the other oh. side <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Super Freak Media Podcast, No Ghouls Allowed, with me, your host, John O'Butler, and joining me to this f***ing today. Uh, <laughs> I'm fine with today. Today's good. Today's good. Today, yeah. I'm going to yeah. go today. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. At least it's not this week's podcast. 